ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತುಮ ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಆರ್ ದ ವೇರಿಯಸ್ ಮಾರ್ಗ ಮಾರ್ಗಾಸ್ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಪಾತ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ದ ವೇರಿಯಸ್ ಮಾರ್ಗಾಸ್ ಟು ಮೋಕ್ಷ ಸೆಪರೇಟ್ ಆರ್ ಲಿಂಕ್ಡ್ ಫಾರ್ ಎಕ್ಸಾಂಪಲ್ ಕೆನ್ ಎ ಕರ್ಮಯೋಗಿ ಕರೆಂಟ್ಲಿ ಪರ್ಸ್ಯೂ ಭಕ್ತಿ ಯೋಗ ಆರ್ ಜ್ಞಾನ ಯೋಗ ಅಕಾರ್ಡಿಂಗ್ ಟು ದ ಶಾಸ್ತ್ರ ಶಾಸ್ತ್ರ ಯು ನೋ ಟಾಕ್ಸ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಟೂ ಲೈಫ್ ಸ್ಟೈಲ್ಸ್ two lifestyles in fact there are no paths to talk about what is the path for that which is yourself <laughs> huh how are you going to go to you it's like a dog chasing its own tail where is the path so the shastra the ishopanishad talks about two lifestyles one is to just plunge into this knowledge hook line and sinker nothing else there all the boats are and the bridges are burnt this is called renunciation aka sanyasa it's a nishtha it's a committed lifestyle the other one if this seems too drastic and you feel like renouncing the renunciation <laughs> the very thought of renunciation <laughs> then this is not for me if you feel that then the other lifestyle is one of gradually going to gain clarity about the truth of myself even while pursuing various other goals as long as i have moksha in view i'm headed there on the way the train has many many stops and that's okay like the story of going to the yeah airport <laughs> i'm headed to the airport but there are a few stops on the way these are the only two lifestyles one is karma yoga 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 here means lifestyle the other one is gnana yoga and so many other yogas are talked about bhakti and what else raja yoga hatha yoga this yoga that yoga etc etc those are all not they cannot be seen as even these two are not separate it's just a question of lifestyle the karma yogi pursues atmagnyanam the gnana yogi is also pursuing atmagnyanam there is just a difference in how many hours a day one is full time one is part time okay that's all you have to take it as so bhakti yoga means it's not a separate thing what will the bhakta quote unquote do what will the bhakta do tell me do bhajans that's still karma vachikam karma do meditation manasam karma do puja kaikam karma physicalized action mental action verbal action it's still action so the bhakti is common to both you cannot gain knowledge without bhakti because one cannot bypass bhagavan if we are dealing with a manifest universe there will be all kinds of difficulties and to overcome those difficulties one needs an altar of surrender and that altar cannot be an altar of surrender without understanding what it is and so therefore this ishvara becomes a, a point of relation relating to bhagavan relating to ishvara and so therefore 
those are the two lifestyles. The karma yogi is a bhakta, the jnana yogi is also a bhakta. So bhakti is not a separate path. Because we have to see the, the question of path come into the picture for two reasons. One is we haven't understood the pursuit. The pursuit is not that of something that is away from me. If something is away from me, then if it is in the next city, I can go by plane, car, bus, train. Many, many options are there. If it is centered on me alone, then, then I have to know it. I am already what I seek. So since the object of pursuit is centered on the I, the subject, the options are not there. The problem is, the problem of suffering is what? Atma Ajnanam Self-Ignorance. It's just like the, the example that I gave earlier. What is that? <laughs> huh? Glasses on the head. Where are my glasses? If I do bhajan, will I get them back? Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. No. If I stand on one leg and do some kind of penance, tapas, will I get them back? No. If I do karma yoga, cut vegetables tomorrow in the dining hall, will I get them back? No. What do I need to do to be one, be united with the glasses? What do I need to do? Somebody has to tell me. A good Samaritan, seeing me suffering through various actions, <laughs> has to tell me, this is not something to act, this is something to know. They are right on top of your head. That is exactly how this is. This quest is. It's an as-though quest where the seeker and the sought are one and the same. So therefore you don't need, you don't even need one marga, let alone many margas. Two lifestyles are given and the object of both the lifestyles is to know that my glasses are on my head. That's all. <laughs> what happens after the Atman merges with Paramatman? Who says it is separate? Huh? The premise that it is separate is the problem. This is a wrong conclusion. Because, as we saw in the beginning of this retreat, what did we see? We saw that ev all that appears is not really true. All that appears. The sun appears to set in the sky. Is the sunset real? No. The sky appears to be blue. Is that true? No. Space appears to be polluted. Can space become polluted? No. All these are appearances. Everything that appears in a certain way does not mean that it is real. And so too, Atma, I, seem to be alienated from Bhagavan, from Ishvara, from the total. But that also, like the sunrise, like the sunset, is not true. And that is why we spend time studying it. So the question of what happens when the sun sets into the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> you know, does it make a shh noise as the sun <laughs> touches the water, <laughs> is a moot question. <laughs> why? Because the sun is not setting at all. Neither is it setting, nor is it rising. Na udeti, Na astameti. And so similarly, this Atma is neither going towards Paramatma nor has it come away from Paramatma. In fact, there is no Paramatma, there is just Atma. From the standpoint of this hapless body-mind-sense complex, one thinks one is separate, whereas one is not really separate. This has to be understood and discovered. Okay.
So what happens? Nothing happens because they are never separated to begin with. If most pursuits are only in the service of temporary ananda, how can we tell which voluntary pursuits are worthy? For example, if one is asked to lead a bhajan, why is that a worthy pursuit when it does not lead to Brahmananda? Well, that, you know, that depends. Bhajan may lead to Brahmananda. How do you know it won't lead? Because after all it is Bhakti, it has Shraddha, and it has a certain immersive quality. So, in a way, it is helping the antahkarana to free itself of strong prejudice and preferences. So, this way, anything can lead you closer to recognizing the truth of yourself and anything may not lead you closer. How do you tell the difference? Not by the nature of the action, but by the attitude by which the action is performed. So it's, it's not what you do. It is how you do it. You see, there's a big difference. I can be doing many things. Some things may not have anything to do with Brahman at all. Maybe in the office I'm crunching some numbers. Nothing to do with Brahman or Brahmavidya. But the attitude with which I do those actions, what happens? There is an opening in the heart. I do it with a spirit of service. I do it not for the sake of results of action. I divest myself from having a connection to the result of action. I do it for my self-growth. I do it to grow out of my raga, my dvesha. So this kind of a doing means I can do anything and still be on the path of Brahmavidya because Brahmavidya speaks to the person who is internally grown, inwardly mature. How do I know I am inwardly mature? I depend less and less on outward sources, sources to keep me happy. That is how I know, to keep me secure, to keep me happy. And so, this is the growth. It doesn't matter if it is a bhajan or if it is cleaning dishes or if it is going to the office. The action doesn't matter. The attitude with which I do the action can either lead to my growth, my emotional maturity as a person. I can grow into someone more compassionate, more accommodative, less intolerant, or I can, I can devolve into an angry, small individual. The choice is in the attitude with which the action is performed. That is what makes Karma Yoga, not the action itself. In your time studying with Pujya Swamiji, what were some teachings or characteristics of Swamiji that left an indelible mark on your own approach to teaching and interacting with students? Where to start? That's the question. <laughs> I would say everything. Can't really single out any one thing. Everything. Because I had the good fortune to travel with him for a number of years, I am all over the world and all over India. I had the blessed opportunity to observe how he taught, not only observe how he taught, but how he was with people, how he was with people everywhere. And that was, that really, really 
was very transformative on many, many levels. One incident I can relate. We were in the informal satsang room where he had satsangs in Rishikesh. Now it is called the photo gallery, if you have been there recently. And there he was having just some satsang. And suddenly the electrician came. He is still there in the ashram. The electrician came and said, Look at my bad luck, Swamiji. He said in Hindi, Look at my bad luck. I am with you so much. I listen, but I have no idea. What is it that you are teaching? And I, I don't know how to benefit from this knowledge. I don't think I can sit in your lecture. I don't know English. And I don't know how to understand it. Look at how much misfortune I have that I am next to the Mahatma, but I am not gaining this. Swamiji said, what are you doing right now? <laughs> and he said, nothing, I am right here. I came to fix something and I was going somewhere else. I saw you sitting here. I came to do namaskar. Sit down. Made him sit down right in front of him. And in broken Hindi, gave a wonderful Vedanta talk. <laughs> it was so marvelous to see. And he talked about electricity, which is like Brahman, and various bodies, which are like the <laughs> bulbs, <laughs> the geyser, <laughs> and the, um, the heater, and the cooler, and all these things. And he was just transformed. I could see the transformation of, on his face. He said, I know, I know, now I see, I know. It was just all in his language, using the tools of his craft. And even though the, the Hindi, the command, Swamiji's command over the Hindi language was not great. And as he himself would joke, Kabhi kabhi Hindi aati hai, kabhi kabhi Hindi aata hai. So, <laughs> it wasn't great. He said Hindi just flummoxed him. He would say, Dal is masculine, Chawal is also masculine, Dal khaya. Chawal khaya, but when you mix them together, you have to say, Maine khichdi khai. He would say, why? <laughs> why are they doing this to us? And in this way, still, despite these challenges, he was able to communicate that. And to see someone of his caliber take the time, for a person who was working in the ashram and do that was something which is very, very touching, very beautiful. Physical body, jada, does not need liberation. Does the physical body need liberation? No. Good. I don't have to see anyone after class. Okay. I, Atma, Brahman, does not lead liberation. Why? Ever free. Okay. If I am neither the subtle body nor the causal body, then who is the one who is reborn? Who is the one who needs liberation uh, to be liberated? Meaning, who is the one who is ignorant? This, you know, is an age-old question. In fact, somebody also asked Adi Shankara. Slightly differently, same question. Good question, you know. Because the body does not think. The body doesn't have a complex. Oh, I am ignorant. And then Atma does, cannot have a complex because that which is free of complexes is Atma. And so who is the one that says, I am ignorant? Who is the one that approaches a teacher? Who is the one that needs instruction? 
you can say the provisional answer to that is that the one who is ignorant, the one who is suffering from ignorance. So the one who is suffering from ignorance means what? Who is the one suffering from ignorance? Where is the ignorance located? It's not in the body, it's not in the Atma. Where is the ignorance located? Somebody asked Adi Shankara, to which Adi Shankara replied in the very nature of the asker of the question. So in a way, it is this very iffy entity called the I-notion, a.k.a. Ahankara, the Ahankara which suffers because it identifies with the body-mind-sense complex as what? As itself, as the truth of itself, which is a very sad proposition because body finite, mind finite, everything is finite, senses finite. And so this proposition makes it, it, it catches on to the finite and becomes sad. That is the one that needs instruction to let go of the finite and re-identify itself as the infinite. That is the one that needs instruction. <coughs> <coughs> but then it's not really there. <coughs> the definition of ahankara is that which cannot stand enquiry. Vicharam nasahate. But still, as long as it is there, it causes trouble. So, what is this ahankara? That which identifies with the smallness and attaches itself to the self ignorance. That is the one. How can one explain? The realization of the self that comes outside the path of studying Vedanta. For example, Sadguru Jaggi said he didn't study any text to achieve liberation and also advises against texts as intellectual pursuits as the intellect is meant to divide and the realization is about expansion. I don't know who this person is, so I can't comment on that. So, but we can take some other examples. Like uh, Ramana Maharshi. People say that he hardly needed any instruction. And he gained this knowledge. How do we explain that? Or there might be some other examples in history. We can say that they did everything in their last life. In this life, whatever was left is what? Is a little bit to, to overcome. Little bit to overcome, some prarabdha to experience and that is all was needed. Karma Yoga must be done, emotional maturity has to be gained, the prerequisites for studying Vedanta are not uh, surmountable, cannot be bypassed. Only difference is Asmin Janmani, in this life one gains it or one could have gained in previous lives. That being said, one more point we should see is that we don't look for exceptions. Exceptions do not devalue the rule. Exceptions make the rule, in fact. So the exceptions are, will always be there. Look at the rule. That is the safe way. We go with the rule. We don't go with the exception. Next one, is a vegetarian close, closer to moksha than a non-vegetarian? <laughs> I 
is a vegetarian hindu a morally better person than a non vegetarian hindu vegetarian means what you know see you have to eat something you can't not eat anything if we were meant to make our own food the lord would not give us hands and legs the lord would give would have given us solar panels yeah instead of arms and legs so that we could just sit in the sun all day like plants and make our own food we cannot do that we have to eat something you can eat an animal what does the animal do when you try to catch it hello you run away simple we are not talking of things you purchase in the shop already killed cut and packed in styrofoam we should you know it should be a fair game in the past what was uh, what was the name of this uh, caveman the caveman used to go out with his hands or maybe just a small knife fashioned out of stone or something like that and the animal would come out it also had its own uh, knife what is that claws some day the animal would be his lunch other days he would be the animal's lunch 50 50 it was a fair game now it is not because we have established superiority and we have we have the worst ways of ending life and so people said to me why how come you can eat egg plant it does not run away <laughs> that's what we can say it does not run away but how do you know it doesn't have feelings it may have feelings we don't know in fact somebody recently told me about a study they said that uh, green beans egg plant and tomatoes they did a study on these three vegetables after they were picked when they were cut apparently they made a few noises yeah after that i said I, please i do not want to hear about this study <laughs> those are the few vegetables i can eat <laughs> what are you doing to me so one has to eat something it's about less and less violence ahimsa ahimsa paramo dharma this is why we have to this is why we are vegetarian because food is vegetarian oshadhi bhyo annam upanishad says you can either eat the vegetables directly or you can feed the vegetables to an animal and eat the animal so some people say i am a vegetarian and then some people say i eat only vegetarians yeah <laughs> so it is about ahimsa things that have life are just like us they have feelings they have pain and so we don't increase that and also unlike cats we have the ability to to eat not live off of animals and still have a complete diet cats cannot do that please don't make your cat vegetarian if you have one
So this is what it is. We can we can afford to be vegetarian, and so why not? Is that closer to moksha? I don't know. I mean, it's a value that is given in the Upanishad, in the Bhagavad Gita. So the value of ahimsa makes me a more sensitive person, makes me a more compassionate and accommodative person. So in that sense, uh, you know, I will be closer to gaining this knowledge. Vegetarianism does not give moksha. What gives moksha is knowledge. In mathematics, in order to understand abstract concepts, one solves exercises or problems. Is there an analog in the study of Vedanta? What are the things to practice in daily life to put the teachings to application? That's what. It's all about gaining emotional maturity. That's the exercises, that is the problem solving. That's what it is. How to be together as a human being? Because the human being is split. There are multiple beings in one person. Without this vichara inquiry, what are the multiple beings? One wants something else. One wants Vedanta. Another wants to beat up everybody around them. And the third one wants something else. So like this, in terms of wants, there are multiple beings. In terms of pursuits, there are multiple pursuits. All that is made into one. Then there is the adult and the truncated inner child that is constantly looking for validation. Those two have to be integrated. And that, you know, the karma yoga is really the best way. Not focusing on the result of action and putting the effort into self-growth. So if I don't focus on the result of action, what do I focus on? I do the action as a worship of Ishvara and take whatever comes. The result that comes, I learn to take with some kind of a glad acceptance. That is what to do in daily life. How does Rudram fit into Vedanta? What is the significance? Sri Rudram, Chamakam, Vedic Suktas, how do they fit into Vedanta? They are all prayers. Prayer opens the heart. Sri Rudram is Vedanta because it is Bhagavad Darshanam. It offers a darshan of Bhagavan in the form of everything that you encounter. All that is here is Bhagavan. Therefore, it has 300 namahas in the in the first part which is called namaka namaha 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 i surrender it's you it's you it's you and then all things are named the dried leaf is you the uh, this thing is also you the kaldi sack is you this is you that is you everything is you that which is difficult to look at also you my own karma phala is you in the form of the arrows, you are hunting me, O Lord. Very evocative, very beautiful. And the Chamaka says, after going with the first, going through the Namaka, when you come to chant the Chamaka, it's called Chamaka because it has Chame, 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 Shan Chame, Mayas Chame, Priyan Chame, Nukamas Chame, Kamas Chame, Saumanas Chame, Bhadran Chame, Shregas Chame, Vasyas Chame, Yashaschame, Bhagaschame, Dravinanchame, Chame, Chame, like this. That's why it's called Chamaka. Chame means, and it is all me. 
dissolve me. Not let these things they let these things be there for me. No, it is myself alone. So everything is me alone. First, everything is you, and then I am this you. I understand, and then everything is me. Can we ask you about your journey to Vedanta? No. So. <laughs> What journey, really? Not, I'm an ordinary person. So, in anyone's life, when the questions exceed the answers, it's time to do something different. Cannot keep doing more of the same. That's how it is for you. That's how it was for me as well. How do we know we are making progress in our moksha pursuits? How to measure? There is a special tape we can get. <laughs> According to Swami Paramarthanandaji, he talks about this. Special measuring tape based on three parameters. The first one is seeing that the frequency of samsara attacks are less and less as I grow in progress. Before they used to happen, samsara attack means what? Meltdown. Annoyances, pains, sorrows. It used to attack me more and more, maybe several times a week, several times a day. Now it's two or three times a week. That's the frequency. And previously, I would have a lot of difficulty coming out of them because the intensity was too much. The intensity, meaning the extent to which it would affect me was too much. Now, the extent to which it affects me is less. Then finally, before, if I had a samsara attack, I would be out of commission for several days. I would not be ready for transaction. I would have to go under the covers. Now, the last one is R, recovery time. Now the recovery time is less and less. I am able to have a certain resilience and bounce back. Getting there, anyone else wants to offer a bhajan? Mike is over there. I'll try to wake everybody up, maybe more like something else. But uh, So it's a dhun. Uh, we sing dhun in some Hindu temples, and so maybe all can help sing with me. Radha dhund rahi Kisi ne mera sham dekha Radha dhund rahi Kisi ne mera sham dekha 
राधा ढूंढ रही किसी ने मेरा शाम देखा राधा देखा शाम देखा गन शाम देखा शाम देखा गन शाम देखा राधा ढूंढ रही किसी ने मेरा शाम देखा राधा ढूंढ रही किसी ने मेरा शाम दे राधा तेरा शाम हमने मथुरा में देखा हो राधा तेरा शाम हमने मथुरा में देखा राधा अरे बंसी बजाते हुए हो राधा तेरा शाम देखा बंसी बजाते हुए हो राधा तेरा शाम देखा राधा तेरा शाम हमने गोकुल में देखा हो राधा तेरा शाम हमने गोकुल में देखा अरे गैया चराते हुए हो राधा तेरा शाम देखा गैया चराते हुए हो राधा अरे राधा तेरा शाम हमने वृंदावन में देखा हो राधा तेरा शाम हमने वृंदावन में देखा अरे रास रचाते हुए हो राधा तेरा शाम देखा रास रचाते हुए हो राधा तेरा शाम देखा राधा तेरा शाम हमने सर्व जगत में देखा हो राधा तेरा शाम हमने वैष्णव जन में देखा राधा अरे राधे राधे जपते हुए हो राधा तेरा शाम देखा राधे राधे जपते हुए हो राधा तेरा शाम देखा अरे राधे राधे जपते हुए हो राधा तेरा शाम देखा राधे राधे जपते हुए हो राधा तेरा शाम देखा राधा ढूंढ रही किसी ने मेरा शाम देखा राधा ढूंढ रही किसी ने मेरा शाम देखा श्री कृष्ण कन्हैया लाल की जय role of mysticism in the path of sanatana dharma mystics means people who have a value for this or who may even understand it understand what that i am non dual whole one with everything but they may not be able to communicate it because often they are, they may not have been taught along with the methodology that's all is there a role for them sure there's a role for everybody that is what sanatana dharma is nobody is left out are ishvara and brahman one and the same or different am i ishvara or am i brahman or both if they are the same then why do we no- use two different names if they are different how are they different 
Ishvara comes from root verb Ishu Palane, the one that nurtures everything, the one that is the overlord. Ishvara. Vara is a pratyaya, a suffix which means always. Like bha to shine plus vara, bhasvara. Thank you. Stha plus vara, stha to stay, vara always. What's that? Plants, trees, bhasvara, sun. So like this, there is a pratyaya called varach, which means, which makes the word that precedes it in with that particular quality always always the overlord so ishvara the word is used for brahman to understand brahman from the standpoint of the manifest jagat the word brahman and ishvara can be interchangeably used but if they are looked at together like in addressing this question, when we talk of Brahman, we talk of Swarupalakshana. We talk of Satyam Jnanam Anantam Satchidananda. And when we talk of Ishvara, we talk of that Brahman which has various attributes in the form of the cause of the universe. The one is the overlord of the universe by whom the universe is sustained, unto whom the universe resolves, resolves. This is what is Ishvara. So when we talk of the manifest universe, we can say Ishvara, we can also say Brahman, but generally the term that is used is Ishvara. Brahman is consciousness, and so that Brahman is Satyam, that which exists, that which is all-knowing and that which is limitless, which is myself alone. About the importance of vegetarian diet, we have already seen that. Are there different lokas? You bet. Yeah. How many? Numerous, but at least the Shastra talks about 14. Seven up, seven down. Okay. Do we have to go through the lokas to reach the ultimate? Thank God, no. <laughs> we can skip all the lokas because if we keep going to one from one loka to another loka, we will go loco. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no need for lokas. Yeah. This this loka is enough. All right, it will give us all the experiences to want to run away from samsara and embrace this knowledge. No other loka is needed. Are the lokas holding places for different births? They can be, but not for, not for this August gathering, because one is in moksha now, on the path of moksha now. What's the significance of astrology and vastu? Should we care? It's up to you. <laughs> Everything has a little bit of a use. But then when we overuse it, then it becomes a impediment. Vastu, sure. You know, if, if somebody tells you, don't face this way, put the head of, bed of the head that way, what does it uh, harm? Nothing. You can do that. There is some truth to all of it. Astrology, Vastu, etc. These are all ancient vidyas. Narada knew all of them, remember. So, nothing wrong <coughs> in studying, nothing wrong in, uh, in following. But that is not going to, uh, th that is, you know, that, is, that can just be some kind of a step or a preparation or a portal to Brahmavidya. If that is what it is, it's to be celebrated, it's wonderful. Is deep sleep state same as a sedated state? Yes. How do we recognize deep sleep? I am not able, I seem to be able to remember my dreams, but not deep sleep. That's the point. We can't recognize it. 
that which we cannot recognize in real time is deep sleep. Okay, yeah. Subject of moksha as awareness of total lack of desires realized in the cognitive state. I got lost in the last 10 minutes of class. Only 10 minutes? <laughs> Desire, how about basic needs like reading glasses, food, etc. Seeing without seeing, you know, that is on a different level. You know, it's not, uh, we cannot mix up the transactional reality with the uh, absolute reality. No teacher will say, no Shastra will say, give up food and don't have reading glasses. No Shastra will say that. Because it's not practical. Shweta Ketu gave up food for 15 days. We saw what happened when he was asked to chant the Samaveda. Could not even open his mouth. So therefore, this is not, uh, that's not what this means. This is a cognitive pursuit. So the dropping of the desire, so desire is not for things that one cannot do without and one needs, like air. Like should I drop the desire to breathe? Not possible. Should I drop the desire to eat? Not possible. Should I drop the desire to eat repeatedly? Perhaps. But <laughs> should I drop the desire to eat altogether? I don't think so. So we are not talking of those desires. We are talking of desires that bind one. Binding desires is what we are talking about. I'll, I'll repeat that tomorrow. And what is the difference between the sleep state and the and moksha? In the sleep state, there is non-awareness of desire. Non-awareness of what? The presence of a whole lot of desires. Desires are not gone in sleep, they are merely suspended. Whereas, when one is awakened to the reality of oneself, when awakened to the truth of oneself, one is conscious of what? The absence of desire. That is the difference. What is the best way to deal mentally with suffering a great financial loss? Is there a specific text that will help? You know, you can uh, chant Shri Sukta. That will help. Because it's all about living in abundance. And financial loss is difficult, very difficult and to, to see why this happened, what happened, etc. But if you are on this path, you can see it as a, as that which has been instrumental in bringing one to closer to the truth of oneself, in bringing one onto this path, helping me to grow and to let go. Just when I think I have done some work on myself and find myself in good shape, a small incident can make me angry, upset. A younger person not thanking me for holding the door for him and just walking past me as, as though I was his doorstop, no, doorkeeper. And so it felt like and made me upset. Does that mean that no work was ever done <clears throat> and it was just my perception? Why such a big ego? Why does simple logic like it might not be personal or the person is having a bad day, going through something etc. Why does that not immediately come to mind? How can I develop more compassion and handle the ego? First, have compassion for the ego, okay? Yeah. It's a trigger. It's a trigger. 
it's a trigger from the unconscious mind which one doesn't know was that's why it's called unconscious because i am not clear that it is there i don't know i'm not in touch with it and it doesn't come out without with my permission anger does not say hello may i visit you tomorrow at such and such a time it doesn't take permission it doesn't take an appointment does not take an appointment so therefore one is blind sided so one opens the door and somebody goes through and does not thank does not do anything you know it happens many times so i have two choices what are they stop opening doors <laughs> very simple at least until this trigger resolves or think twice before i open the door for somebody or do open the door is the, is a upalakshana is a symbolic so before i do something for somebody if there is a trigger of not being validated then better to look into this trigger and then be mindful about what i am doing what i am doing for somebody or not so that is important to do so maybe stop opening the door for a while until this resolves and then talk to the inner child the one that felt hurt think about see if it will give some information about when it first felt like this what was the first occasion when it felt devalued when it felt invalidated do a little analysis vichara if nothing comes doesn't matter still work with the inner child and still see that there is i mean there is still enough information in this incident that there was some hurt soothe that hurt you be the adult and say there there terrible fellow did not even say thank you yes <laughs> sorry about that you can you can you can soothe that child and that child is mithya it doesn't really exist but it exists as though in order to in order to create uh, some kind of an opening for growth that's all this is about this doesn't mean that you're not making progress progress is being made sometimes it's not a linear progress that's all it is how to develop a relationship with god and feel the presence in daily life pray have an altar and have a relationship to have a relationship you should do that prayer every single day that's all how to become more authentic without fearing that someone might not like us that's a big one it's an important one many times for the sake of someone wanting someone to like me i may behave exactly as they want me to behave because i'm afraid i will not be accepted authenticity is important because if i am inauthentic i'm creating a split between myself the one that i want to be how other people see me i morph into that which somebody else wants me to become something and the one that is really me there is on on the level of personality don't go all sachidananda on me right now okay <laughs> this is all on the level of personality so there is a split and that split means i'm suppressing that one which wants to come out and i am letting this other one play which is an inauthentic version of myself and that suppression leads to sorrow leads to various diseases in the body as well you know there is one book excellent book called the body keeps the score very nice book talks about the whole emotional physical uh, connection and so this way this split the authentic one and the inauthentic authentic one 
So I have to make myself strong with the help of these teachings to not really to overcome what other people think it is. This disease called what will other people think? I have to overcome that. I have to be, I have to develop that strength and be okay with the fallout of people not liking my choices. Last one, even after learning Vedanta and practicing Karma Yoga, I take everything too seriously. How to simplify life? Laugh. Laugh at everything because everything is ultimately laughable. Even the pursuit is laughable. That which is one, you know, the student seriously goes to the teacher. And the first duality is what? Student-teacher duality. That which is one is made into two. And I want to know myself. And what do I do? I go to somebody else in order to know myself. So like this, everything is laughable. When I laugh at myself, things become lighter. And Vedanta is all about just not taking anything too seriously because as soon as you catch hold of something in the ne- next class that is taken away. Yeah. Om Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha Sarve Santu Niramayaha Sarve Bhadrani Pashyantu Makaschit Dukkha Bhag Bhavet Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Prithyorma Amritangamaya Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti Shanti Shantihi Harihi Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Harihi Om